If you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to take them out and turn to the Gospel of Mark this morning, Mark chapter 13. Mark 13, and this morning we're going to look at verses 3 uh, through 13. Um, so a couple weeks ago, starting last week really, I, I promised that we would be doing an, a study on eschatology, um, a study on the end times. Uh, one of the most exciting of, of all of the, the subjects that Christians can study, and I've seen it uh, even in this town, whenever uh, churches study eschatology, they will announce it and they will put it on billboards uh, because it's a big draw for folks. It's something that's exciting and they know that it'll, it'll uh, call people in. Well, I can almost guarantee you that today after the sermon you're going to go, what does this have to do about the end times? Uh, and what you're going to find out is that it, the way that I read this text and the way that Reformed Presbyterians read a text like Mark 13, it's not so sensational. But in fact, Jesus is telling us to not look at all the sensational stuff. And what he's going to do is present the events that are going to happen and the things that are going to happen and the hard stuff that are going to happen, not as something that's going to be happening sometime in the future, but actually all of the hard stuff is going to be going on and it is a very much a normal part of the Christian life. He normalizes suffering. He normalizes hardship. He normalizes all of that so that we can be prepared for it when it comes. And that's a biblical corrective to especially 21st century evangelical, uh, evangelical Christian thinking. The way that we think that because God loves us, everything in life is supposed to go well for us. When in fact, we're taught almost the exact opposite. That for God's people, because God loves us... He sends us through hardship in order to teach us more about his glory and our need for him. So hardship oftentimes is a sign of God's love more than the good times. And so we'll see some of those things here today in this passage. Uh, I want to read this for you. Mark chapter 13 verses 3 through 13. This is God's good and kind and gracious word to his people This morning, so give ear to it. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all of these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of the birth pangs. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils. And you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand uh, beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. 
And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help in understanding this difficult passage of Scripture. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for giving us this, your word. And we thank you that it is life to us. Father, we pray that by the, by the Holy Spirit we might understand more and more about the glory of the finished work of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we might understand what it means to be hated by the world for your name's sake. Father, I pray that you would help us to endure the suffering and the trials and the tribulations of this world and help us all to persevere to the end. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning I want to look at this passage in three ways. We're going to see distracting signs in 3 through 8, disturbing events in verse 9, and then uh, determined faith in 10 through 13. So the first thing we see is distracting signs in 3 through 8. Uh, so notice the context of what's happening here. We went over this last week. Um, one of the disciples was enamored with this glorious building, one of the most fantastic buildings that had ever been built, the temple in Jerusalem. And they were leaving the temple, and the disciple, disciples are, are just enraptured with the beauty of it. And then Jesus says, look, look at the stones. They're all going to be toppled over. They're all going to be thrown down. They're all going to be destroyed. I, I I was reading some commentary on how they did this, and the historian, first century historian Josephus, talks about the way that they took these uh, 20-ton stones and how they were able to destroy them because they, they absolutely annihilated this massive building. And what they did was underneath the temple, uh, there were these, uh, it was dug out so that water could run through them and run out of them so it could keep the temple clean. And what the Roman soldiers did was they went underneath the temple and they built fires underneath all of the stones and they heated all of it up to a super hot temperature. And then all of those, all that marble got so hot that they poured water on top of the marble and it exploded. And so back in this day, there's this amazing uh, destruction of the temple. And the disciples are just saying, how in the world is this going to happen? So that's the context. Jesus said, it's going to be destroyed. And they're just wondering. They, they really asked two questions, okay? When are these things going to be? In verse 4 you see this. Tell us when these things are. And then in verse 4, and what will be the signs of all of these things? The disciples are really concerned about this because the last time the temple was destroyed, around 586 B.C., all of the Jewish people were taken into exile. They were brought into slavery. Uh, and so if the temple is destroyed, it means religious worship in Israel is destroyed. It means the sacrifices aren't taking place anymore. And in their understanding, then they can't be right with God. And so, uh, and then more than that, God is going to be angry at his people because of their sin. And so the disciples are saying, when is this going to happen? They understand the implications of this. So when is it going to happen and what are going to be the signs? So those are the two questions that they ask. And in this passage, Jesus answers uh, really the first of those questions. Okay. But, but notice in verse 5, before Jesus answers their question, he says this. See that no one leads you astray. And then if you drop down in verse 9, he says again something very similar. Be on your guard. And then he mentions at the end in verse 13, the one who endures to the end 
will be saved. And you see the importance of this. You see why Jesus is teaching them this because he wants them to endure to the end. And he wants them to understand that hard things are coming, that there's going to be a temptation to be led astray from Christ, and that God's people will let down their guard. And that's why he's teaching this. All through chapter 13, over and over, Jesus says that. He says, be on your guard. Be careful. Watch out. And at the very end, he's going to say, stay awake. Um, that should be a sign up here on the pulpit. Stay awake. okay? Because the tendency is, as I talk more and more and more, you're going to fall asleep. But how important is it not just to stay awake for this sermon, but to stay awake and watch the things that are happening. To make sure you endure to the end. To stay with Christ. And that seems to be Christ's overwhelming goal. That's what he wants for his people. So starting in verse 6, Jesus begins and gives three different signs. But these are distracting signs. These are things that are going to happen. Three different categories of things that will happen. That people will use to tear people away from Christ. These are distracting signs. These are not the signs of the end. And you'll see that in this passage. So what are these three categories in in verses 6 through 8? He says, the first category is... False, false leaders and false Christs. So he says, many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. Jesus says that before the destruction of the temple, before all of that, there are going to be false Christs that rise up. There are going to be people who are claiming to be powerful and mighty, claiming to have the presence of God, and they will distract people from the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And so Jesus says, don't listen to those people. False Christ will arise. Another way to say it is false messiahs, false saviors will arise. Um, This is an application for all of us since the time of Jesus and even before the time of Jesus that we will be distracted by people who come forth and say they have a wonderful plan for our life and they want us to go with them and follow them. It may at times be a person who is, um, we, we ascribe God-like powers to them, politicians, people who have high and important offices, and we say, that one is going to save me? Well, that could be a false Christ to us. But, but that's a figurative use of it. There are quite literally people that tell you they are Jesus and you should follow them. There's a guy in Miami who I call middle class Jesus who has a middle class home. He drives a middle, I think he drives a Camry. Like, and he says, I'm Jesus. Um, and if you just follow me and go to my church, then I will save you. He literally says that. Okay? There are false Christ and we need not to be distracted by them. Uh, so the second category of people uh, are, are the second category of distracting signs are wars and rumors of wars. Verse 7, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. The end is not yet. Now just think back over the last few weeks. Have there ever been rumors of war? Look, just think back. Has anything happened over the last few weeks that you've heard about a war that is definitely going to happen, that nuclear war is going to come and the world is going to be... Did anybody hear anything about that? Yes, North Korea was supposed to launch nuclear weapons at this tall little island, Guam, and that was going to happen, and then that was a rumor of war. Okay, 
And because we live in a 24-hour news cycle, because uh, we have access to so much information at the palm of our hands, we hear about wars and rumors of wars all the time. Well, it was the exact same way in Christ's day. And what he tells his disciples is, when you hear about those things, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Now, how many of you, whenever you heard about the impending nuclear war that was going to happen, how many of you were alarmed by that? Well, I was alarmed, and I had to go, but wait, hold on. And you think through these things, and then you read the scriptures, and you say, Jesus says, look, when these things happen, don't be alarmed by them. But he doesn't say they're not going to happen. He says there's going to be wars, and there's going to be rumors of wars. It's going to happen. But the key for Christians is don't be alarmed by these things. And then he says, whenever you hear about them, don't believe that the end is coming. Okay, The end is not yet. And then the third thing that he says is you will hear about earthquakes or there will be earthquakes in various places and then famines. And he says, you know, until the destruction of the temple, until certain things happen, there's going to be catastrophic geographical events that happen. There's going to be terrible things that happen like hurricanes, like earthquakes, like famines. All of these things are going to continue to happen. And Jesus says, but these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. And so, you know, every couple of years there's going to be a bad uh, earthquake and something cataclysmic is going to happen and the world is going to come to an end. But Jesus says, whenever that happens, that doesn't mean the world is coming to an end. But it's going to happen. So what do we learn from this? Uh, Jesus really wants us to see, whenever you see these signs out there in the world, whenever you see all of these events happen, don't be alarmed by them. And don't let people trick you into thinking that the end is near. There's a couple of reasons why he says that. Um, he says it, first of all, because he knows that we are likely to be led astray. Satan's number one ploy for Christians, I believe, is to distract us from the power of Christ and make us think that he is weak and he doesn't have any control over the world. And Jesus says, no, don't be alarmed because he has overcome the things of the world. Don't be alarmed because you are going to be secure in Christ. So don't be alarmed by those things. And, and he says also, don't be alarmed by them because all of these events that take place or ongoing proof of simply just that the creation itself longs for redemption. One of my favorite passages involving Jesus in his last days is when he's walking or, or riding, I'm sorry, he's riding in on the donkey into Jerusalem. And the Pharisees can't believe that all the people are crying, Hosanna. They're calling him the Messiah. And Jesus wants them, or the Pharisees want them to stop. And they say, Jesus, tell the people to stop calling you that. And Jesus says, if they did not, even the stones would cry out. Even the stones, even the creation would break forth in voice saying that Jesus is the Messiah. And all of the things that are happening, the earthquakes and the famines and, and, and all of the events of the world and the hurricanes, it's just proof that creation itself longs for redemption. But notice again, Jesus says, don't be distracted by these things. They're going to happen. Don't be distracted by them. Now, in verse 9, we get to the disturbing events, the things that are really disturbing that we need to pay attention to. Don't be distracted by those signs, but be on guard, Jesus says, for these events, for these things. 
verse 9. For they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. So, in essence, Jesus says, while while all of those things are happening, the wars and the rumors of wars and the false Christ and all of that sort of stuff and the famines and the earthquakes, he says, what are you, my disciples, going to be doing? He says that the twelve are going to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. They're going to go forth and spread the gospel message all over the world. While all of those other events are taking place, the gospel is going forth. You will be my witness before them. But he says, look, be warned, he tells his disciples. You're going to be in synagogues sharing the good news, and what are the people going to do? They're going to arrest you, and they're going to beat you. Synagogues are for the Jewish people. All the disciples are Jews. Jesus was a Jewish man. Um, And the Jewish people are going to take these Jewish men because they hate the gospel. They're going to beat them and cast them out and leave them for dead. And Jesus says, be ready for that. But then also he says, you're going to stand before governors and kings for my sake. So Jesus says, you're going to be beaten in synagogues. And then he says, but also you're going to go before Gentile, non-Jewish governors and kings. Those were the people that were in charge. This is a way that Jesus is telling them about what's going to come. That they are going to go and spread the gospel message to people who are not Jews. Now this would have blown the disciples' expectation about what was going to come. Uh, Because in their mind... When the Messiah came, Jewish people would not undergo suffering. They would not have to suffer. Their expectation was that the Jewish people were going to enter into a golden age of prosperity, and it was the Gentiles that were all going to suffer. The Gentiles were all the bad guys. The Jews were all the good guys. And so their expectation was the Messiah comes, and then the Jews prosper. And, And the disciples, by the way, because they're... 12 of the really good guys, the closest followers of Jesus, when the Messiah comes and takes over Jerusalem and kicks out the Romans and establishes his worldwide rule in Jerusalem, guess who's going to be right there to take the cushy jobs right there with Jesus? Well, the 12 disciples. They were expecting that they wouldn't be suffering servants for Christ, but that they would have nice, cushy government jobs with nice, cushy government pensions and nice cushy government, you know, stuff, health care, all that stuff that comes with it. But here Jesus says, no, that's not what to expect. If you're a follower of Christ, you're going to be beaten and cast out and despised. And so that changes the disciples' expectations about what is going to come. Because they thought the Messiah was going to come to give them everything they always wanted. And Jesus says, no, he's come for something even better. He's come for to, to do something so that you can go and face a beating, that you can face almost being killed for the sake of Christ. And, in fact, we know that all of the disciples um, became apostles. All of the disciples, except for uh, Judas, of course, they all went and faced death for the sake of Christ. All of them died for the sake of Christ, except for John, uh, John the Apostle was boiled in hot oil. Uh, they, they slowly raised the temperature of hot oil, boiled him, and he wouldn't die in the oil. His skin was, was falling off of him. He would not die. He would not recant. And so the people, the Romans that had captured him, pulled him out of the oil and just 
and just left him alone. And for the rest of his life after that, he had all of those scars all over his body. And he refused to say that Jesus was not the Messiah. Jesus says to his disciples, you will face suffering and persecutions in this world. Now, what does this do for us? What what does this do for God's people today? Well, we need to understand that our expectation of the way the world treats us needs to change. The pure message of the gospel, the salvation of sinners through Jesus Christ, through his finished work, is foolishness to the world. They hate it. It's offensive to them because they don't like about what the gospel says about them. It says that they are filthy sinners who deserve the wrath of God. And they don't like what it says about God. They don't like that God cannot be controlled. And because of that, the world will hate Christians. We need to change our expectations of what the world, uh, what the world thinks about Christianity, about the Christian message, about the gospel. Um, We need to change our expectations as Christians about the world receiving us and how they're going to treat us. Um, We just need to change the way that we view that. Instead of trying to push for a golden era and a golden reign of Christ here in the United States, be faithful in proclaiming the message to your friends and realize that you're not going to lord over your friends. And you're not going to be accepted by them unless they're believers in Christ. Just expect that. You need to change your expectations. All right. So in verses 10 through 13, the the final thing, Jesus wants his disciples to have a determined faith. And so starting in verse 10, he says, these are the things that are going to happen. Um, You're going to preach the gospel to the ends of the world, to all of the nations. Um, so that's what the disciples are going to do. And so, um, the gospel is going to first be proclaimed to all of the nations. Now, um, did that happen? Has the gospel gone forth to all the nations? Well, if you read the gospel of of, uh, Luke and then also the Acts of the Apostles, so Luke and Acts, What you see in both of those gospel accounts is that Jesus tells his disciples, you're going to take the gospel message to the very ends of the earth. Well, that's exactly what the disciples did. Um, We have evidence that, well, we know that Paul, for example, the Apostle Paul, uh, wanted to go to Spain. And there's evidence that he did actually make it all the way to Spain. So think about the world in that day. Um, Spain was on one side of the world, and on the other side, basically, was China. And so Paul made it all the way to, um, to Spain to proclaim the gospel, and we know that the apostle James likely went to Spain as well. So on one end of the known world at that point, that's where James went. What about the other side of the world? Well, we know that the, uh, the apostle uh, Thomas was martyred in India. So think about this, that within a few years of Christ and his resurrection... Thomas made it all the way to India to proclaim the gospel. And there is evidence that the gospel had gone all the way to China by the end of the first century. Uh, You can go back and you can actually read articles about the characters, uh, various Chinese characters in the writings. And they have evidence of of a man that hung on the cross to save the world, even in Chinese writings that go back 2,000 years. It's an amazing thing to see that, that, that early on, that the gospel had gone all the way to Spain and all the way to China. 
the gospel did go to all of the nations, that Paul proclaimed the gospel in front of uh, the Caesar that ruled over all the nations, and Christ's disciples went all over the place, all over the world. So Jesus says, you're going to go and preach the gospel all over the world. And, verse 11, whenever you do this, don't be anxious beforehand what you're going to say, because the Holy Spirit is going to give you what to say. Don't be worried about these things because the Holy Spirit is going to give you what you say. And I find this really interesting because he says, look, but this is what's going to happen. Brother will deliver brother over to death, father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. Now before the destruction of the temple, families are going to be torn apart. And Mark's audience writing to the Roman people, the first century Roman Christians, they're undergoing that very thing where children... uh, Children are, are, are threatened with their life, and so they tell the Roman, the Roman guard, the Roman people in charge, that their parents have become Christians to spare their lives. And then parents are giving their families over, uh, their children over who become Christians for death, for persecution. And what does Mark say to all of these people? They say, look, when these things happen, take heart. You are not alone. The Holy Spirit will be with you. Take courage. Stand firm in the face of persecution when it comes. Because you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. Well, understand this. Jesus says that all of those things are going to happen before the destruction of the temple. Well, the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. All of these things happened prior to A.D. 70. The temple was blown to pieces. All of the stones were toppled on top of each other and all of those things. And what happened? Persecution happened prior to that time. Terrible things happened. All sorts of stuff. Families gave other families over and all of this stuff. It was just a terrible persecution that happened. And the message for them was stand firm. Well, since all of these things already happened, does this have any application to us? Well, absolutely it does, because guess what still happens? We're still under persecution. We still have a temptation to be taken away from Christ, to be distracted by the things of the world. And so the application to us is exactly the same. Be on your guard. Pay attention. Don't be led astray from the pure message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pay attention. And then at the very end, he says this, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Uh, we believe in the, per, in the perseverance of all believers, the believers who believe in Christ, who have been transformed by the gospel message, will persevere to the end. Do you know the definition of perseverance? It's enduring to the end. So for God's people, we are called to endure all of these things, to persevere, to stay with Christ. Why should we stay with Christ? Why should we persevere to the end? Because he stays with us. He is with us. So I'm just going to conclude by asking you a few things. Who are you with this morning? Have you been drug away by false Christ, by false leaders, by, by the promise of so many things in the world? Because they're going to all desert you and leave you. Only Christ came to save you by dying on a cross. Only cross came to give you his good record so that you can stand before God in the day of judgment. And only Christ continues with his people today. So who are you with? 
who you're really worshiping. What is shaking your faith this morning? What's distracting you from Christ? Or is it the events, the celestial events, the things that are happening out in the world? Are those things shaking your faith? Or are the, the things that are happening in, uh, in the nations and the political realm and all that, is it shaking your faith in Christ? Well, maybe it's because you've stopped believing in the power and the glory of Jesus, but you've started believing in the power and the glory of something else, a pretender to the throne. Don't put your hope in nations. Nations will rise and nations will fall. Don't put your hope in anything, in anyone other than Christ. Look to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this message, and I pray that you would encourage us with this this message. Pray that we would remain with Christ if we are with him. And Father, we pray that if we are not with him, that you would do the work of causing us to be your people, calling us to him so that we can remain with him. We pray this today and every day hereafter in Christ's name.